What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Rule of Three podcast, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, alongside Danny Meehan and Brandon Robinson, right here on the Windy Gritty, er, Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. You know, I've done that intro almost a hundred times, and I've never made that mistake. That's so awesome. there you go. That's first time for everything. That's but awesome. anyways. The Windy Gritty Podcasting Network. You know, it kind of works. But anyways, getting back to the point here, the Chicago Bears have hit this OTA wasteland along with everybody else in the NFL, and that gives guys like us a lot of time to reflect. And reflecting is exactly what I want to do today, guys, because especially around free agency, when rumors of Russell Wilson were swirling and they were crushed by the horrific signing of Andy Dalton, all that stuff looks a little bit different with Justin Fields in tow, to me at least. And I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Let's talk Bears free agency and the whole offseason in general and how much better, worse, or the same it got based on how you felt in the moment. We'll start with the obvious one because I don't know where else to start. We'll start with the Red Rocket Andy Dalton. This signing was hailed, remember, it's for one year of service, paid over two years, $5 million each, as the death of the Russell Wilson trade and potentially the death of both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy's Bears careers. But with Justin Fields in tow, it looks more like an insurance backup quarterback option that, who knows, may have saved the Bears a little bit in the trade package if the Giants somehow thought that the Bears weren't coming up for a quarterback. I don't know why they would have. Brandon, I'll start with you. In the moment, what did you think of the Andy Dalton signing? Now, what do you think of the Andy Dalton signing, and has your opinion changed at all? In the moment, I didn't really necessarily mind it just because I knew they needed a different quarterback other than Nick Foles to run the offense, and it had to be, it had to be a veteran just because like, they're not going to bring off some guy off the street to, to run that style of offense, some young guy off the street. So I, I think people overreacted a little bit just to the money of Andy Dalton because, he I mean, he did get a pay raise from what he did in Dallas, which was basically nothing. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you're not, you're not giving up future assets to, for a quarterback. And now looking back at it, like, now Fields can sit behind Justin Fields and just be just fine. If they had just kept Nick Foles, it would be Justin Fields' job from day one. I can't agree with that more, honestly. And it's worth mentioning that Andy Dalton, I use that word insurance policy in the opener for a reason. There was no guarantee that, what is it, the Eagles were going to jump over the Giants to take Devontae and then push the Giants back that Carolina and Denver were going to pass on quarterbacks. Like, the way that Fields fell to the Bears was not a guarantee. And honestly, I think if you ran 10,000 mock draft simulations before, depending on your mock draft provider, you could have very well ended up with none of a – or with zero scenarios that played out like they did. So there is a real chance that the Bears were anticipating starting Andy Dalton altogether, like they've been saying – and I don't mind the insurance policy now that I think about it, but Danny, moving to you before I fill the airspace with too many words, what did you think of the Dalton signing? What do you think of the Dalton signing? And again, has your opinion changed? 
I mean, I think we are all kind of on the same page on this show of memory serves. You know, it's one of those things like I think we, we kind of try to avoid looking at it as not it being Andy Dalton only. Like you, they had no Mitch. They had no quarterback on the roster. There was no trade for Russell Wilson, as you already talked about. And Brandon kind of put it easily the, the as best you could, just like you had to understand that they needed another veteran quarterback. They weren't going to just trot Nick Foles back out there. And we had seen the Andy Dalton movie before. Like we kind of know what he is. We know he's a serviceable quarterback. And I think some of the backlash kind of comes from, I've never seen a quarterback who's had a legitimately decent to good NFL career get kind of crapped on the way Dalton does. He like especially of of late prior to Dallas, it was just kind of easy to make him a punching bag. The guy who's had a really good NFL career and gone to multiple Pro Bowls, which obviously it's not always a great baseline to show everything off uh, in terms of like what his accolades are, but he had a run from like I believe we brought it up last week from like 13 to 16, where he was a legitimately good NFL quarterback. Now it's going back some years, but you know, it's just one of those things like it, my opinion of it hasn't changed much just because I never really hated it. I understood it more than anything. It just felt very underwhelming when you factor in all the smoke and maybe even some of the fire that was underlying the smoke regarding Russell Wilson. Now you feel a little bit better about it because he is a pro's pro and he knows how to handle his business and everything. And I'm sure Justin will be smart enough to even just watch the work habits of him because I don't really believe in the quarterback mentor thing. Like I don't think any guy who's quote unquote QB one, as it were, is just going to try to give away how to be a, be a professional quarterback. But you know, he's a smart enough kid, obviously with the, alleged offers that he's going to pick up on nuances of what he does, what, how he's doing it to have lasted, you know, a decade plus in this league, you know, it's just one of those things. So it's, I, I didn't mind it at the time. I might even say I like it now. That's, I guess, you where know, I sit with Andy Dalton. I think that's perfectly understandable. It is kind of funny when you think about the bears current quarterback room. So if they can't find a suitor for Andy Dalton, or not Andy, if they can't find a suitor for Nick Foles and instead trot out all three quarterbacks as part of their roster, it is sort of amusing to think about just how much wisdom there is in that room. You have a Super Bowl MVP, you have a longtime old school or like former franchise starter for Cincinnati and Andy Dalton, and both of them get the chance to rub off on Justin Fields. Like you're talking about, Danny, I don't know how much the mentorship stuff really happens. I think that depends player to player. But there's an element of osmosis when it comes to getting better, where I know in anybody's workplace, I'm sure it happened to you in the Fire Academy, Danny. I'm sure it's happened to you, Brandon, in everything that you're doing. It's happened to me in the tech field that I watch people that are better than me do the job and I can adapt to how they do things and get better. Hopefully some of that rubs off on Justin as the Bears have different quarterback meetings, regardless of who the starter is. But, you know, it is really interesting to just take a look at this offseason with a full, like, what is it, a rear view mirror and see how everything looks. Brandon, do you feel like when you look at free agency and their very clear offensive focus in the draft, that they were able to pick up enough defensive help to be, let's call it, comfortable fielding this defense or do you think that ultimately they're more shorthanded than you would have wanted given that they ultimately did 
cut Fuller. They did keep Gibson. That I, I honestly don't know how you feel anymore. But that basically it feels like they lost more than they gained in both age and player departure. But do you think it's enough given the Desai switch? I mean, comfortable in terms of the, like the defense is still going to be like it's not going to be below average, but not comfortable in terms of where like as as what I would want to be an ascending defense. Like I don't think this is an ascending defense at all. It's just it's really just regressing, and it's blatantly obvious in every single aspect of the defense, except for Sean Desai. Which is obviously good because you hope that they draft well, guys develop, the younger guys develop, and then it works out. But like, it, you have you have to hope that these late round guys develop. And I mean, that you're you're bank you're bank on low upside in in terms in terms of late late round guys. So I, I understand they were in cap constraints, so it kind of had to work work out this way. I'm glad that they didn't take more money from future years in order to make it work because they could have done that just to keep the older guys around. I just, I kind of just wish they took a few more shots in free agency at guys with upside instead of just bringing back to Sean Gibson, because I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of just think he's a bum and he had one game and he had one really, really good game against the saints in the playoffs their second meeting of the year, and I think that kind of just puts that puts in everybody's mind that he that he played really well, and he just didn't. Um, I, I, I like the signing of Desmond Trufant just because they didn't pay him anything, and he's moving back to his own scheme. So I think there is a small bit of upside, but that upside is just for this season, just because he's an older player. But I mean, the secondary as a whole, I like Jalen Johnson, but his injuries are obviously. A big thing and I, I honestly I don't think that he is a number one quarter he's a very solid number two corner but if you're really relying on him to be that guy to to make all the plays in the secondary I, like I think you're I think you're gonna have a lot of problems it will be really interesting to see what happens with this defense because like you're talking about there's it seems like there's enough for them not to be average or below average should health hold but it does kind of feel like, Danny, I'll pass it to you on this note, people are doing the same thing with Sean Desai that we did with Juan Castillo last year, which is we say, well, the players aren't going to be the reason this unit is amazing, but that coach, that coach who's never been a defensive coordinator ever in his life, he's connected to the good guy, Vic Fangio, so our defense is going to be great again. Do you feel like we're overrating the Desai acquisition a little bit? Or do you feel as if it really is going to be that big a change and might just be what restores the Bears' defense to surprisingly good in a season of a lot of player regression? I'm 100% overrating this because I just assume that he is he's going to do the exact same. He has the same philosophy mindset as Fangio and Staley because he was the one that was helping out with the secondary. But, I mean, honestly, that's a complete guess. He could go completely the other direction. But based on what he said in the, in these pressers, I, I think he's going to lean a ton towards Fangio. He, he talked about it consistently about, about the impact that Fangio made as far as philosophies go. But I mean, still defenses, what people don't really understand is defenses 
in the NFL are really evolving. And But the good thing is they're evolving towards the Fangio scheme. A bunch of hires were made this offseason towards, towards that coaching tree. So, I mean, you hope it just works out for the Bears. What do you yeah. think, I mean, I, I kind of agree with B in the sense of the, the, the defense is trending that way. And it is kind of comforting to know he he did learn under him. And, and like I pointed out, and we all know, as, and we all know, like I enjoy that he's worked with every level of the defense in some regard. He's worked with linebackers, worked with the line, he's worked with the secondary. That's That's meaningful. You know, it's not just like, you know, Vic famously was the all was also a linebackers coach, and the linebackers were his baby. You know, it wasn't just defense, so it makes you feel kind of good that he has an understanding of every level of the defense. But I'll be damned if I know if he can call a call a game defensively. I don't know. It's all it's all a relative guess, and he seems like a very bright guy and a very intelligent guy, and you like the things he says. But at a certain point, as everyone on this podcast well knows, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes, sometimes not the X's and the O's. I, I have hope that Trufant can stay healthy and show what he was at points in Atlanta. I hope he does. I don't know. He's also a 31-year-old corner now with injury history. And the Bears got him off the scrap heap for next to nothing. There's a reason for that. Akeem Hicks has had a lot of surgery done on his body. I don't know if he's going to be that guy anymore. Khalil Mack has had some surgeries now, and he's who knows if he's going to be that top elite edge defender that he's been for the majority of his career. Like, I just don't know. Can they be passable and average? Sure, I think that's possible. But to think that they're going to be that historic defense that they were the first couple of years before Fangio left out, like under Matt Nagy, I, I'm hard pressed to believe that because you're you you've lost Kyle Fuller, who was your best corner. You know you you don't know what Tashawn Gibson is. I think he's at his peak, horribly average, and he's probably your starter at this point. And I'm with Brandon completely on the thought process of I would have much rather if you just took a swung on someone like a Malik Hooker or bringing someone who you think is better like Trey Boston I think is probably a better football player than Tashawn Gibson but a hundred times went, oh that's that's what I, that's my point yeah but it's just one of those things like they clearly valued the continuity of knowing the quote-unquote system so I just I'm hard-pressed to believe there's much room to just do other do anything rather than stagnate a little bit and kind of regress now the only thing I will say because of the deferment or the return not the deferment the return back to this style of defenses maybe we get dpoy level eddie jackson back maybe we get him back and he's put back in that position to be that ball hawk the way out of the out of the too high the way we remember him being because you know and i don't think he's necessarily as bad last year as some do but i also don't think he's he was particularly good here you go (laughs) so i just i i know he had a couple touchdowns taken away from him i just want to i want him to be the guy that they paid and made at at one point one of the two or three highest safeties two two or three highest paid safeties in football so that's that's it 
based on what I can tell, and Brandon, I'll pass it over to you because I know talking about Eddie Jackson is something that you've taken to on Twitter. I think it's a good cause, so I'll let you do the majority of the talking. It does seem like a lot of Eddie Jackson's effectiveness, we'll say, is going to come down to, to Sean Gibson's play. Because as, as much as we used to make fun of him, and as much as I think a lot of us Bears fans probably regret calling Adrian Amos not very good, given how important he was in that 2018 Fangio defense, the Bears need that second safety, in this case Gibson, to play his role well, whether that's sucking forward to stop the run, whether that's handling the boundary so that uh, Jackson can play the field. If they can attack Gibson reliably, Jackson's effectiveness won't matter. But from here, I'll pass it to Brandon on whether Eddie Jackson was good last year or not. I mean, a lot a lot of what you do as a safety is you're cutting the field in half and reading that side of the field, specifically the receivers to that side of the field. And so I don't think Tashawn Gibson will matter that much in terms of, like, whether – whether Gibson is playing well, whether that's going to elevate Eddie Jackson, okay. it, it just it really matters in terms of how how exactly Sean decides calling the the play calls, which in turn could matter on Gibson. Like if Gibson is playing so poorly that they think that they have to just put him back there on an on an island and not really do anything and just cover space because that's what he's going what he what he's going to do anyways. Because that's what Pagano, I think, fell into the hole of doing was playing so much man coverage with Gibson playing single high and then Eddie Jackson's manning up on the tight ends and on the slots, which I think he did phenomenally at. It's just like he's not going to be it's, – it's hard to make plays when you're just in man coverage because when you're in man coverage, your job is to cover that guy. If, if you're making plays on the ball, that's because the quarterback made a mistake. Now, when he's playing in zone coverage, that's where he can that's where he can bait the quarterbacks and make plays and jump routes over the middle of the field. But he didn't get those opportunities last year, and you're hoping that they return to this too high zone coverage defense so that he has those opportunities. But like you're saying, Brandon, there's no guarantee. Who knows? Maybe we'll see. I think it's even likely that we'll see that return to a two-high defense, a more Fangio-style defense, but <laughs> you never know. They could say continuity is everything and stick with the cover three base. I hope not. If they, but, play, if they play the same amount of man coverage as they did last year, this defense will get torched with Desmond Trufant. It will not go well. And the thing is, like, I want to go back to what Danny was saying is like, yeah, it's you're hoping for a little bit of an above average defense if this defense stays healthy. But I mean, you look at it with Jalen Johnson's shoulders. If he goes down with another shoulder injury, which would be like his fifth or sixth, this defense is just not looking great because at any any point, Trufant can go down with a hamstring. And then we're playing a bunch of nickel guys at outside corner, which they were doing last year. So I, I, I'm, I'm really worried about this defense. They, I, the, their number one priority, honestly, is just going to be health. Right. And, and to your point, Brandon, on the health, let's be real here. Go to every level. We already talked about their path. The, like, or I already brought up Akeem, and we brought up Khalil. Go to the linebackers. Quinn might not be healthy. Danny Trevathan's probably going to miss some time because he just kind of does that. You know, like, 
at a certain point, your best defender week in and week out could theoretically be Roquan Smith. And he's a hell of a linebacker, but I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that if your middle linebacker is your best man standing, you're going to have a great defense. Like, that's just naive to think. And I, 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 I tend to forget, admittedly, about Jalen Johnson and his shoulders, but you may never get a Jalen Johnson that you want because of those. They, they said the issues were cleared up coming out of Utah last year, and they reared their ugly head almost immediately once the season got going. Like, I, I just don't know what a fair expectation is to put on this defense aside from middle of the pack at maybe best. I, I don't know what else. It's not pretty. It's just kind of the nature of what happened. The window, quote unquote, has closed for that defense. But, here, here, everything is based upon the quarterback. That but they, you know they, what, Danny? I think we can agree that if the window is closed for the defense, but the window is opening for the offense, that might mean the Chicago Bears are in a slightly healthier state. Personal opinion. Might. You want your defense to be at its healthiest when you're winning, or at least right about to win. And the Bears aren't in that place yet, sure. I mean, I see we've got Lester on the call here, so I don't want to be tone deaf to the fact that the Bears under Matt Nagy have a winning record. It's not like they've been losing, but I look at the teams like the Buccaneers, teams like the Patriots, you tend to want your offense to be stable, and then you figure the defense out. And in the Bears' case... They need to find that stable offense, which is what we'll talk about after the break. We've talked to Andy Dalton. We've talked defense. But a lot of the draft was related to the offense. A lot of the free agency conversation was related to what they didn't do on offense. So let's take that look back through the rearview mirror on the other side of this break. I'll see you guys there. And we are back with the Rule of Three podcast. I'm Robert Schmitz with Brandon Robinson and Danny Meehan. And we are talking about the Bears offseason, and how it looks now that the draft has concluded, namely looking at free agency. I know one thing that I had talked a lot about during free agency, if you will, and the preceding months after it, was that it felt like the Bears were holding their cards, which was a positive. They didn't spend a whole bunch of future money. But if there's one move that I would question now that the Bears landed this miraculous draft of Tevin Jenkins and Justin Fields, it's still the fact that the Bears cut both of their tackles and signed Jermaine Effady, who I thought he was fine, to basically play as the step-in right tackle, $5 million a year, when we were so, so excited about him being the sixth man on the offensive line. The Leno move seems like a risky cut, especially given how well Tevin Jenkins has played at right tackle across his collegiate career. But I wanted to kick it to you guys. We'll start with you, Danny. Do you, do you feel any better now? about Fady as the right tackle to be man number one with, I guess, Isaiah Wilkinson behind him? Or does it still leave you feeling a little queasy? I mean, it still makes you feeling a little queasy, if, in my opinion, just because I, I didn't understand. I, I, let me rephrase that, rephrase that. I understand the Leno cut. I don't agree with it still. Was he anything special? No, we've talked about Leno at length. He was utterly average and he was paid as such i just don't get it because i and i get tevin's played both sides go watch his college tape he's markedly better on the right side 
I get if you think he plays the left side, it's quote-unquote more valuable. At this point in the league, tackle is tackle. Just get the best ones you can. Let them play the side they're best on, and he's better on the right side. And that's that. That's just my where it kind of start, stops and starts with me. I I think he would have been better served, especially because the left side would have been, again, Leno and Whitehair. And, he, Robert, you and I have talked at length about how would you rather have – two studs and, a, and three bums on there, or would you rather have five guys who are average to above and they have cohesiveness with one another? Well, we've kind of reached the conclusion you'd rather have the cohesion, right? So on the left side, that would have been Whitehair and Leno. Again, more cohesion, more, more continuity and chemistry. You know, it's one of those things. I I understand the cut from the money standpoint because when when Leno's money frees up post June first in the next few days, it's gonna essentially pay for your draft class. That that's kind of what he's paying for. But other than that, it's just kind of like I don't understand it because you cut the guy who is probably your best and most reliable offensive lineman that's taken NFL snaps, considering he doesn't miss games. He plays at a certain level of expectation every week, which is average. I I guess I just don't understand the move when you had if you need if you really needed to free up the money, Jimmy Graham was there to release as well, but it seems like they have a strong affinity for Graham because of what he offers at that position and the relative lack of production or t- not production but talent at that position. So that, I, I don't feel much better about that that cut as I did when it, the news came out, even though we all kind of knew it was a possibility. I'll tell you, I mean, so in case anybody thinks we're being entirely negative, the quarterback situation feels tremendously better. The Graham cut is a weird one, Danny, because he's definitely the guy that I think all of us had tabbed for. He'll get cut eventually. Maybe he's just part of the Russ deal and left that alone, but he – he didn't. Instead, he looks like he'll spend another season as our tight end one. But Brandon, what about you? When you look at the offensive decisions, whether offensive line, whether guys that did didn't get cut, do you do you like things where they went more, less about the draft but free agency, or do you feel again pretty much exactly like you did? So there was a lot of talk about potentially both tackles being cut because of where they're at cap-wise, and this was early on in the offseason, and I was really, really against that just because I thought they were going to be in a win-now mode, and I didn't think that there was any way that they could possibly remove just because of where they were in the draft, and I didn't expect one of these quarterbacks to fall so far. But now, looking at, looking at they are where they are as a franchise – I kind of really love what they did as tackle because now they get, they get the old guys out of there. They bring Tevin Jenkins in. And I think moving Tevin Jenkins to the left tackle says more about how they feel about Jermaine Effetti than it does about how they feel at Tevin Jenkins playing left tackle. Because when I, when I went back and I watched the last four games of the season – I could not have been more impressed of what I thought of a Fetty going into those four games. And so I think that they have just an immense amount of respect for Juan Castillo and what he can do with that, with that offensive line, particularly with the tackles. I think they think 
that Jenkins can develop at left tackle. And I think they assume that Jermaine Effetti has already developed and they're hoping that he can just continue to ascend. I Casillo just said at a, at one of these presses that he wouldn't be surprised at all if he was a pro bowler this year. So I, I think they're banking on that, on that upside. I mean, I know Effetti is still young. I think he's 26, 27. So I, I, I really like where the offensive line is going currently. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's... I feel like we're burying the lead, though, because we all know Larry Borum is starting at right tackle, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Ask the right Bears fan, and that's absolutely what you're going to get. It is interesting uh, that you talk about that, Brandon, because Castillo has been nothing short of, I mean, so forthcoming with praise, it's almost off-putting. Like, you think that they're just going to talk up their guy. You know, they're going to say, Jermaine Fady, yeah, I think he's pretty good. You know, we're going to, we're happy with him. You know, standard veteran stuff. But instead, Fady comes out so winging with praise for both Fady and obviously Jenkins that you're right. I mean, maybe they are just really that confident in Jermaine and that they think an extension is coming after the cap bop or like bumps in this next season. I would be. A little surprised, but at the same time, I haven't gone back and rewatched Defady's film in particular over the last season. So maybe I'll see more than I would have, or than I thought I would have. I know he had a rough go of even right guard there in the middle of the season when Nick Foles was playing, but he seemed to pick things up and tackle. He seems like he has quickly become maybe the X factor in this Chicago Bears offense, where we think we know. Now, I'm not going to say we know what Justin Fields is going to be. Let's leave Fields out of the conversation. But we know what A-Rob's going to be. We hope Darnell Mooney takes a step forward. We would love to see something out of the wide receiver three spot. But David Montgomery, Tariq Cohen, we know who they are. Cody Whitehair, we know who he is. Uh, it'll be interesting to see James Daniels. I think we know who Sam Mustaver is. But if Jermaine Fady can deliver, deliver, let's even start with average, let alone above average play from that right tackle spot. I think this Bears offensive line is in surprisingly good position, given that, like you're talking about, Brandon, the the hidden part about the Leno discussion is that I think Leno was only going to be a Bear for a max of one more year anyways. They had to replace him eventually, and Tevin Jenkins is a potential option at that spot, given how many people had a first-round grade on him. So we'll see. Is it a sure so, thing? No, but it does feel like there might be a little reason for optimism. So something that gives me even someone who just straight up does believe he's probably better suited as a right tackle just because of the re the relearning of a new position on the side. The thing that does give you some hope is we're, we're all basing this off of college snaps, right? Even his own college coach, coach Gundy down at Oklahoma state has said he's the best offensive line or offensive tackle prospect he's had even better than Russell Okun. So that, that should give you good Bears fans some optimism if you just want something to just kind of see because obviously Gundy saw him literally every day. So, and Russell Coons had a really good NFL career. So just kind of something to, to, to chew on in regards to if you think he can or cannot play left tackle in the NFL. So just something I figured I'd bring up. And going back to Fetty, I, I think it's funny, Robert, how you mentioned like maybe an extension after the season. After going back and watching those four games, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't sign him to a two or three year deal. I think that honestly, they probably tried to do that, and it might just be a Fetty banking on 
hoping that he has a, a Pro Bowl season like Casillo talked about, and then actually getting a huge bump in an extension after the season. Because I think if they're if they're counting on him playing really well, I think it was really short sighted to not try to sign him to a two year two or three year deal and try to suck that value out of him. It definitely would have been really interesting because, like you're talking about. I'm curious whether Jermaine would have taken that deal. Like we've talked about before, Brandon, it takes two to tango with any extension. Fuller was my favorite extension talk candidate this last season. And if anything, he taught me that I'm almost certain the Bears offered him an extension. Like I I would just be flat out shocked if they didn't offer him a restructured extension to try to alleviate Capram and keep him on the team. But I don't think he wanted to stay with the Bears, hence he walked. If he may very well have bet on himself for this one-year deal with an extension he hoped later next year, we'll never really know. But it is he's somebody that I think if you're going to be hopeful, you're hopeful about him. You're obviously hopeful about the rookies, and we'll see where things go from there. I'm also really curious because Matt Nagy came out and what? Flat out said that he wants to use Tariq Cohen in the slot more, and that's something that I was surprised that the Bears in the draft didn't find a slot option. I was surprised that the Bears in free agency didn't really find a slot option, unless you want to consider Marquise Goodwin that slot receiver, but I don't think that's really a role that fits him all that well. Instead, I look at Damian Williams and now Khalil Herbert and think that maybe the Bears just decided instead of finding a slot option, let's take Tariq out of the backfield, make him our slot guy, and replace what he does at running back. Is that kind of what you guys are seeing in terms of what the Bears did this offseason, or am I getting crazy over here? I mean, for me, that's my that's my working theory, at least. You draft the guy who is a pretty well-regarded running back prospect out of Vatek and Khalil Herbert, and you kind of know, I believe, for his career, for receptions versus carries, that, uh, that Cohen is close to even, if not more, receptions, if I – I could be wrong on that. I'm not. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know it's close, especially because he had that what 90 catch a year and a 70 catch a year before that. I believe is what it was. Just his tons years. of receptions. Yeah. So if that's what he, and he, so if he's pretty much de facto wide receiver anyway, I mean, at the very least, it might make you less predictable if you're putting him out there with Herbert or with Williams or with with Montgomery, whoever it might be. And I mean, it also kind of speaks to how they feel about their internal options anyway at the actual wide receiver position, right? So it clearly shows, I mean, Anthony Miller, as we talked about, was allegedly at rookie camp, not a great look. They drafted a guy who projects better in the sixth round as who as a slot receiver. Again, not even a lock to make the roster, but it's just curious is what it is. But I think that's probably the safe assumption right now that he's probably going to line up mostly in the slot and, I mean, doesn't his even like his cap hit? Doesn't that kind of line up better as a wide receiver than it does a, a backup running back? Right? He's got a five million dollar cap hit. So, I mean, that's just—it's all obviously a guess on our end, but I think that's probably what you would call a smart bet. You know, we're, we obviously only know so much in that building. I think there's a lot of things that you could do with Cohen and Montgomery on the field when you're in that 21 personnel. So I, I, I do, I would like the idea of, of them moving him around more and not being so predictable as Danny was just saying and not creating those tendencies. It's just the idea of him playing wide receiver 
full time like people talk about. I just think it's really, really tough just because he is coming off an ACL. You put him in those situations to where he's supposed to develop while overcoming a major, major surgery. And I, I just don't think that really works because I, I don't think, for one, he's not going to develop. And for two, you're going to put him in a situation to where he might get re-injured because he's doing things that he's not totally accustomed to and the at other a higher thing rate. Kind of, the other thing to kind of bring up is with the unfortunate circumstance of what happened with his twin, you, never, you don't know how mentally he's going to be there early on when that transition would need to occur, you know? Like it's it's an unfortunate, very sad circumstance, but someone that he's got to deal with as as a person. Right. And Lester Wilfong had talked to me about this after our show. I think it was last week, Danny. I'm not sure Miller was actually at rookie camp. I think somebody made that joke on Twitter when Miller posted a competition related Uh, photo and that people went, oh, maybe he's a camp. And certainly we got oofed in that case. No, it was it was it was when. uh there was a report that Fields adjusted one of their one of the receivers' routes at rookie oh. camp, and everyone made the joke. Oh, what what is Anthony Miller doing at rookie camp? Oh, <laughs> yikes! Oh that's man, awesome. <laughs> it's funny, but I I'm sitting here like, oh yikes, that's that's rough. But anyways, just wanted to put that out so there's no misinformation or lack of clarity. For sure, it it will be interesting to see what happens with this wide receiver room. If you told me going into the season that we would have Marquise Goodwin, Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, uh, Daz Newsom, sure, and Anthony Miller in that room, it's not it's not a bad room, all things told, especially if you consider yeah. Newsom kind of an insurance policy over Miller. Like you've talked about before, Brandon, when I watch Newsom's film, I see a guy with a lot of intangibles, but it'll be a real question as to whether he can hold up in the NFL at all purely on account of his athletic ability or the lack thereof. But that's something that I look at. Hey, we're talking about a sixth rounder, so not too upset about it. Overall, I think if we were going to get into final thoughts at this point, I look back and with fields in tow, where the Bears were able to reset their franchise, which we've talked at length on this show and others of how unbelievable it was, how stars aligny that move was, the Bears free agency plan makes a lot more sense. They didn't overspend. They didn't try to win now. And I know there are some out there that talk about how the Bears still push too much money into the future, but this was the offseason of pushing money into the future, and I'm really not upset with a lot of what the Bears did. They got a little bit of help at defensive line through, um, I think his name is Blackson, uh, where, yeah, they picked him up. Then they got help at corner. They got help at positions that they absolutely needed a body at they are not starting Dion Bush and they were able to add an offense through the draft in a way that seems fairly sustainable because they didn't again push so much money into the future that I think as things stand they'll start the 2022 offseason with somewhere around 40 million dollars in cap space market improvement over starting this offseason with negative I'm definitely much happier now than I was then. And looking back, I think I might have been too harsh on some things. Not harsh enough on the Afedi signing because that's a starter. But $5 million as a starter still makes more sense than $5 million to play backup. So I don't know. It's kind of funny because I feel like we're just in a better mood overall as Bears fans with Justin Fields now uh, under center for Chicago eventually. But I look at this free agency plan, and the Bears didn't bet much, meaning that they don't have much to lose, and instead it's all on a rookie class that we feel pretty good about. So I don't know. How do you feel, Danny? I mean, it's 
it's the uh, it's the long time adage. You know, hope there's no substitute for hope. That they that's what they have now. Mitch showed that he wasn't wasn't worth hoping for anymore. They've moved on. They they added Dalton, and then all of a sudden surprised us all with a guy that fall, fell way further than he should have. And you know, all the reports earlier are just nothing but gleaning and. Obviously, only time will tell. I think they potentially got it right, as I said last week when we recorded Robert. But it's you know it's a waiting game. You know, it's you gotta gotta just take the good with the bad when as his development occurs, whether it be starting week one or starting week six or after the bye. You know, just make sure that you're buckled up because that's that's all you got. You got this is hope, and it's what it feels like all over again four years later. <laughs> <laughs> and as any but and as any British person, I don't know why this is such an English phrase, but it's the hope that kills you. Seems ridiculously negative to me, but everybody wants to say it, so now I'm saying it. Brandon, how do you feel about things? I, I mean, I feel great. Obviously, I, I was I was happy with a couple of the moves that they made in free agency. All things considered with the cap, but I mean, you bring in Justin Fields and really nothing else matters because you have a young quarterback that you can build upon for hopefully you hope 10 to 15 years. And he's exactly everything that you could dream of. He's not a one year starter. He has all the attributes in the world and you're just, you're like, you're saying you hope it works out. But I mean, I think he is. In my eyes, he's close to as safe as you could possibly imagine. He has all the tangibles in the world that the Bears haven't had under center at all. They haven't had any quarterbacks like him, r- rookie, young guys at all, that has all the, all the attributes, all the tangibles, all the work ethic. They haven't, they haven't had everything. and It just seems like the stars are aligning for Justin Fields to succeed a quarterback. I can't help but think the exact same thing, Brandon. This is a strange time to be a Bears fan where it feels like every time I look over my shoulder, something is going well for them, which I mean, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least bring up that Aaron Rodgers' relations seem to be reaching a bit of a head. And here in the next, let's say, seven days from now, we may very well get news that the Bears are going to be contending for a division because the Packers lost their quarterback. It seems like all eyes point to June 1st there, but that's something I guess we'll have to talk about then, huh? But that would be that would be wild. Overall, we are keeping it current with this offseason or with the offseason as we continue to go. The Bears will only get closer and closer to preseason kickoff, but until then, we've got a little longer to wait, and hopefully Justin Fields is able to take advantage of every single minute. Danny, where can folks find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Mean M is in Mary, E E H A N is in Nicholas, the number is nine O. And Brandon, you? You can find me at BRobNFL. And and you can find me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. Find us for any off-season discussion, whatever that may be. Keep your eyes on Windy City Gridiron for what comes next in terms of other off-season analysis. Brandon, I would kill for you at some point to do some breakdown-related stuff on there about our defensive film, just showing us how some of this stuff works. But until then, Bears fans... Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me. Yeah, Windy City, you know what it is.
touchdown at 